Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. I'm Michael Zalavari, and today I have with me a very special guest. Uh, those of you who are frequent users of the r/wc subreddit or the r/wc Discord uh, would know this person very well. He's recently had a quote-unquote life-changing experience that he uh, that I'm inviting him to share with us. Please, everyone, give it up for M.W. Clarkson. Woo! Hello. Good to have you on, Clarkson. Would you prefer Clarkson I... or would you prefer Mark? Uh, we'll go with Clarkson, I think, because it kind of suits the, the Discord better, I think. Fantastic. Okay, Clarkson. So, who are you? Why do we care who you are? <laughs> I'm not sure anyone does care who I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am the sad IT nerd who ended up coding um, the Fancy Endurance website. Um, I am a computer science teacher in England. Um, I am a motorsport marshal, a uh, fan of motorsport, and a fairly busy member of the Discord and the subreddit. And we're going to focus on one particular aspect of what you've said there, and that is a motorsport marshal. But first, before we do crack on to that, I do want to just quickly say, uh, if you aren't aware of uh, Clarkson's work on the subreddit and in the Discord, he's actually one of the the members of the RSSWC Hall of Fame, uh, just kind of to show how much work he's put in and just adding humanity, a human element to what is sometimes a bit of a sterile environment. So I, I, I feel like we should make sure that we mention that because you're contributions to the subreddit in terms of uh, fantasy wec and some of the sort of discussion posts that you've put together uh, and your talk about marshalling and your, the trips that you've taken uh, and just sort of sharing that in a very human way is something that i i love to see and i love that it enables people to interact with this sport in a way that is very human and very personal so thank you for that clarkson and we're going to do That's more of that right yeah absolutely uh, so, uh, you made mention that you're a motorsport marshal. So, why or how did you get into marshalling? Uh, so, I, um, I've been a motorsport fan for, for lots and lots of years. Um, and used to take my kids to my local circuit, which was Croft, uh, in the northeast of England. And we had lots of fun there watching car racing and bike racing. Yep. Um, I'd always fancied marshalling, but... One of the problems was it was it was a thing I did with the kids. I took the kids to the racing, um, and we went and took photos and saw the cars and all the rest of the stuff. And I didn't want to leave them at home and just go be at the circuit by myself uh, without them. Yeah. So I kind of couldn't marshal for a really long time. And then my daughter came to me one day and said, um, I think she was about twelve, and she said she'd come across this thing called cadet marshalling, where children they they don't go live on trackside for fairly obvious reasons. Um, but they could go and be motorbot marshals and enjoy the track from a different point of view. And she really fancied doing it, but she would have to have an adult go with her. So she asked if I would, I was thrilled. Um, and from there, we kind of started marshalling at Croft. Uh, and we've done a couple of circuits together since. Cool. That's that's a really, really nice story. Like, Because for me, the way that I got into motorsport was, yeah, through my dad's interest in, in the supercars and through Formula One. And like, we used to tape the F1 races that were at like 10 o'clock on a Sunday night and we'd watch them together before I went to school on Monday. So it's kind of nice to see that sort of familial connection resonate with, with someone else. Well, see, I think I've won with both the kids because they're both Motorsport fans, I've mostly turned the wife around as well, actually. Hey, well done. Well done, Clarkson. <laughs> You've done well. Um, so, because your daughter still does marshalling as well, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. We were just last weekend, we were together for the touring cars at Croft. 
Nice. That, that must have been fun. You must have had a lot of fun at places like Croft because uh, and doing like things like BTCC because that's not something that really exists over in Australia where we have something that's like that frantic but also that common. Yeah, it is. It's really good fun. Um, so yeah, it's kind of imagine if V8 supercars had shorter races um, and hit each other even more often than they already do. <laughs> that's you know, then they do three races a day on the Sunday um, along with all the support. So it is really good fun. Very frantic. Bit too frantic if anything last weekend. <laughs> a few few cars end up a bit too close for comfort. Uh, not so much to us, but there were there were two tire bales that have been there for about twenty years, um, and apparently the touring car drivers and the support drivers um, struggled to avoid hitting them repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's always it's always uh, in in the main race where things start to start to get a bit feisty, isn't it? With those weekends, mm. yeah. It's like they've been keeping it all up for that one particular moment where they can finally just let it all out in a tyre barrier. Yeah, and touring cars, for those who don't know touring cars, it is just a big version of bumper cars. They're always hitting each other. Brilliant. Uh, So recently you had a a very special experience at the Le Mans 24 Hours. So as a marshal at the, the 2021 24 Hours of Le Mans. So what made you decide to take the plunge to try and marshal the biggest motorsport event in the world? I, I mean, the first thing was it's Le Mans. You know, you yeah. can't, you can't, you can't be into motorsports, especially sports cars, and not want to do Le Mans. Um, and one of the problems is because I'm a school teacher, the holidays are fixed. We get lots of holidays. Certainly yeah. not complaining, but they're fixed in place, and I can't ever go away in June because because I'm, I'm always at work. Um, so this year was literally the once in a lifetime chance to go in August when I'm off um, and visit Le Mans. So I could have gone as a spectator, uh, but what I've discovered is um, having done a few bits of spectating in the last couple of years, Marshall has utterly ruined spectating for me. Okay, just, I'm, I'm just going to interrupt you there because holy crap, right? I, I cannot spectate a race at all. Uh, I- it's just impossible. Why? Why is that? Why is that change for you? Why did that change happen? Is it just because of the access? Yeah, well, it's, they have these huge bloody catch fences everywhere, um, <laughs> and, and you get used. To, I mean, a couple of meetings ago, um, I was I cropped again uh, for a Ferrari Challenge race because it was a terrible little boring weekend. Um, but the course I was on was about halfway down straight, and you've got kind of you've got the, the arm core and the tires in front of you. The cars come straight towards you, and then as they go past, you've got the gap in the arm core, and you're about eight feet away. Yeah. Um, from these Ferraris doing 120 miles an hour or something straight past you, and they're just there, and it's it becomes kind of not normal, but it, you know the first time you do it, it's scary as, as anything. Yeah. Um, but once you get used to it, it's it's just exciting and it's really cool, and then you go somewhere, you go Donington say, or you go wherever Silverstone. And you're behind the cap fencing, and you can't get the same view. The view's not as clear, and it's just not as good. It's just not as much fun. And you've got to pay for that view as well when you're when you're spectating. You do. You do. I was going to say, like one of the perks of being a marshal um, is when you marshal, you can get a guest ticket. So yes. Once you've marshaled a few different circuits and you get to know a few more people around the place, um, you can quite often flag a guest ticket. But you can often get it for free, which is quite good. Um, and one of the things you do miss with marshalling is you can't go around and take photos. You can't, uh, yeah. you're not allowed to yeah. take photos while you're on duty. Um, and if you do want to go take photos, the rule certainly in England 
um, is you have to take your pro bands off, take your orange overalls off, um, go um, and take the side and take the photos from there. You can't take them on tour. That's really interesting. Like, uh, certainly that's similar in Australia. We're not allowed to take photos while on duty, but uh, as long as you're not actively in the in the marshalling area and you're you know far enough away or you're and you're not like posting them on social media like through during the event a lot of marshals a lot of senior marshals have a lot of a bit of a oh whatever sort of uh, attitude to taking photos yeah. um yeah and in, in practice you can get your phone out and take a couple of snaps mm. as long as it's not too obvious depends especially where the cameras are the tv cameras yes yes um, they, they don't like you getting caught on the tv cameras yeah. doing anything naughty um, but you certainly can't take, you know, an SLR or anything like that. Yeah, you know, within reason, as long as you're not, uh, to use an Australian, as long as you're not taking the piss, you generally yeah, can get away with a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I always found that since being a marshal, I can't turn that part of my brain off when I'm what, when I'm at a racetrack. So even when I was doing um, media work uh, at at the bend once or twice, there's still that thought of like, okay, how would I manage this as a marshal? Is this in a safe position, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which yeah. is, is, I found is good for sort of communicating, um, communicating incidents or communicating uh, happenstance on track in a very sort of exact way, but it kind of makes it difficult to kind of just sit back and watch. You can't just like let yourself go. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. You kind of get used. It's it's going to sound, I think, like it's it's a disadvantage. Yeah, you kind of get used to to watching the racing, but without watching the race, or yeah. maybe vice versa. So quite often um, during the race, I'll have no idea. I'm, you'll know who's leading and who's not because you've got to watch that. But I don't necessarily get to watch the battles as much and kind of lap by lap, especially when it's really busy. You're mm. looking at your sector at that exact moment. On what's happening and the leaders might be having a great battle around the corner but you're not watching that you're not looking that way you're looking at the guys in 17th and 18th who are about to hit each other and yeah. sometimes you lose track of the narrative a little bit yeah it's it's one of those things and that's something i want to talk about a little later on because i feel like at a 24-hour event at like lamar that gets turned up to 11 but I, the the term that i've used for it in the past um when trying to get things published is like the the marshalling haze you're not really the race is kind of happening past you, but you're focused on that one specific instance that's right in front of you to the point where everything else just becomes a bit of a bit of a haze. You kind of get this like super tunnel vision transfiction on what's happening just immediately there. Yeah, that's definitely a thing. That definitely happens. I've never heard that phrase, but mm. I think that, that sums it up nicely. Yeah, I, I'm quite proud of myself for that one. <laughs> uh, so and again, it, it might sound like it's a, it's a bad thing, but actually, it, it's not. It's just part of the experience. You know, it's kind of, um, you know, I've watched lots of races as a spectator, watched lots of races now as a marshal, and while you might go back if you can go back and watch it on TV and see a very different perspective of the race, it's still really, really enjoyable, um, and it's great to be a part of it as well when something does happen, even especially actually when it's fairly minor. Um, and you get to go out and help a driver get off the circuit and, and clean things up, whatever. Um, it is good because you just feel like part of the whole event, which is quite a good thing. Yeah, and, and you're making motorsport happen, and that's that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. This didn't turn. I didn't intend for this to be like a, just an advertisement for marshalling around the world, but I guess <laughs> this is what it's going to be now. Uh, so Lamar, so uh, yeah. Once in a lifetime opportunity, falling now in the holidays for you. How did you go about making that application? Was there anything that you needed to get like 
uh, prepped beforehand, especially with with this year, with how the sort of shape of the world has been over the past six to eight months? Yes. Um, one of the things, the hardest things I find about marshalling actually is getting into places. Yeah. Once you're in, it's, it's dead straightforward. So when I first wanted to be a marshal, um, actually finding that key contact and then getting them to reply back. So I ended up contacting three or four people and it was like the third or fourth guy who actually replied and responded. Um, so sometimes there's a bit of that. But what I did was the my uh, chief marshal at Croft has done Le Mans once. Yeah. So I asked him how he got in. Um, and he gave me the email address of the lady at Le Mans who lives in Le Mans who organises Marshall. So I emailed her. She then sent me to um, a kind of fairly well-hidden link on the ACL site to sign up. Yeah. Um, and then had to upload my, my UK accreditation for Marshalling to prove I'm not just some bloke who wanted to come and watch for free. Um, well, I mean, but that's, you know, besides, I, that's a given anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then the the most difficult thing about kind of the application really after that is the fact that it's all in French, which is maybe a surprise for some people. Um, but it's pretty fair, you know, if you want to apply to a race to be a marshal in England, you're going to have to speak English. Yeah. Um, if you want to apply to to a race event in France, the emails come in French. Um, so but for some people, that's probably a bit of a shock. Um, thankfully, the Google Translate is manageable, but that was probably the biggest kind of day hurdle with the application. So do you have to get a like a French to English dictionary on your way to Le Mans just to make sure that you'd be able to you respond to track incidents and stuff like that? Well, one of the... Oh, that was it. I completely skipped on a whole different thing. Um, so sorry, once I filled in the application form, yeah, so. uh, you get to a stage where you have... No, it's my fault. Um, you get to a stage where you have to put down which course you want to apply for. Yeah. Because you rather just apply to be a marshal. You have to, they give you a list of all the post sheets and you have to pick which post sheet you want to work with. Oh, really? So, 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 so it's not like a, a broad, like trackside marshal, pit lane marshal, scrutineering, that sort of thing. You actually have to pick where or yeah. who you want to work with. Yes. And, oh, it, wow. again, and it was literally just a list of names. Oh, wow. So for me, as a complete outsider, it was like, what the hell do I do? Um, so I'm um, a member of a couple of Facebook groups um, for marshals. And went on one of those and kind of said, you know, if somebody wanted to apply, how the hell do we get past this bit? Because I don't know anyone. Um, and thankfully, there was a post team on there who said, oh, well, I, I run a post with Rich Markle at Le Mans every year. So just put my name down. Yeah. Um, and we'll sign you up and you can come be on my post with a lot of Brits. So the thing with the language, I do have a bit of French. Um, I know my colours, I know my numbers. Um, and I did French at school. So I thought, right, well, that'll be enough to get by. I'll be on a British post with British marshals. Um, so once we get through the application with Google Translate, we'll be fine. And was it? Um, well, <laughs> two things happened um, in recent history. Uh, one of them is COVID. Yeah. And that meant that anyone travelling from England to France needed um, to be double vaccinated, needed to have a reason to be in the country, had to build various paperwork, um, had to do a lateral flow test in France. Okay. And then had to do a PCR test when they get back from England. Point is, it was about £400 in PCR tests. Blimey. Um, and in addition to that, um, there's a thing called Brexit, where Britain decided to leave the European Union because they thought that would be better. They were wrong. Um, and so, basically, I was the only British marshal on post. Wow, really? 
Yep. Around, around the whole circuit? Or just at that post? Uh, not the whole circuit, but just that post. Jeez. Wow, okay. So that must have been a, a bit of a shock to the system then. <laughs> so... <laughs> uh, definitely a challenge. Um, and the way that Le Mans works compared to most events, so normally, go across, go to Silverstone, wherever, um, you turn up and there's 120 marshals, and you get given the post, and there's three or four of you on the post, and you go off the thing, but you kind of interact with each other over the course of the weekend. Yeah. At Le Mans, um, there are 70 posts, 35 on the inside, 35 on the outside, and you, you camp with your post mates. Oh, jeez. So we were responsible for about a kilometre of track, um, and so the people I was on post with, I lived with them for a week. Yeah, and, and it was a, a full week, because you were there for the test day as well, so you drove down on, what was it, the Friday before the test day, and were there for... Um, yeah, so crossed over, drove through England on Friday, yep. drove through France on Saturday, um, and then stayed till the following Monday after the race. Cool. So that what that's eight nights in the end, something like that. Yeah. So so describe to me the experience of that drive and then arriving at your campsite because you sent me some photos which made it appear, let's call it quite Spartan <laughs> when you arrived. Yes. Yes. Um, so the drive, anyone who's driven through France knows what it's like driving through France. And you don't really... Well, can you explain it for someone who, who lives on the other side yep. of the world who maybe hasn't yet driven through France? <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's just, you know, you've got motorways, you've got toll roads, which are motorways, which are kind of reasonably quiet. Um, you can drive through those. You drive, follow the sat-nav, so I don't really know where I'm driving particularly. You drive a bit through the city of Le Mans, just kind of skirting through some of the industrial zones. Um, and then you come out at the MM Arena, which is just on the inside of Tet Rouge. Yeah. Um, and that's where you have to pull up to sign on, um, do all your paperwork. Okay. And get yeah. And how long's um, the, how long's the drive, by the way, from where you were? Because you're in the northeast of England, right? So how long's yes, the drive from yeah. the northeast to, down to Lamar? Uh, so on a normal day, on a good day, uh, it's about a five-hour drive down to the Eurotunnel, which is the train that goes under um, under the English Channel. Yep. Um, on a Friday, which is the day I drove down, it's about seven and a half hours. Okay. Uh, because everyone in England uses the A1 and the M1. Yeah, so that's actually an appreciable distance. I was about to like, oh, Europeans don't understand anything about distance. But no, you know, that is an appreciable distance. That's a solid drive. Well done, Clarkson. Yeah, I mean, it's not Perth to Melbourne. But, no. Uh, it's, it's a solid day of driving. But, but it's, about, it's um, about Adelaide to Melbourne. So I respect that because I've done that drive. Um, so then the, the Eurotunnel, you drive onto the train and the train takes you through uh, through the tunnel. You come out and Callan and it's about four, four and a half hour drive. Uh, okay. Down to Le Mans. That's okay. That's pretty good. And so you get to Le Mans and you sign on at Tertrouge. Yep. In, I'm guessing in French. Uh, oh yes, yes. Nobody there spoke English oh. at all. Oh boy. Um, and because I uploaded all my expectation online, I didn't realise they also needed to see physical um, copies of my expectation. Okay. Did you have that with thankfully, you? Uh, thankfully, I had it in the car. Okay. Um, so just it was a bit of walking backwards and forwards, um, and lots of hand waving. Um, and trying to figure out what was what, but we got sorted. Um, and then one of the things that is quite good about Lamont is you get free overalls, which is quite cool. Nice. The the yeah, the orange one with the 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 logo on the back. Yes, yeah, so it's got total logos everywhere, ACO logos. Yeah. And the big got the date. Um, so yeah, so you sign on, do all your paperwork, get your photo taken, you get your overalls, get a cap, um, and then get told you shown where your post is, 
and get Torbert sold off and go find the campsite. Yeah, okay. Fantastic. So you, you were at, uh, where, whereabouts were you on the circuit? So I was down at the bottom of the Mulsanne Strait. So yep. it's just, it's the last post before the breaking zone into Mulsanne Corner. So like just at, at the kink, right? Just just after the kink or just before the kink? Um, it's about halfway between the, there's kind of there's the big kink. Yeah, sorry. You come out of the second, second chicken, there's a biggish kink. Um, and it's about halfway between there and the, the apex of the corner. Wow, that's because so a... if, if, if you want to look on Google Maps, um, if yep. you look down at the Mulsanne Corner, there's a golf course there. Yeah, and if you just follow back up the road, just about the end of the golf course, that's pretty much where our course was. Oh wow! So you're basically at like peak speed for the all, all of the cars. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. They're they're pretty much at V Max, I think, at that point. Jesus, that must have been. Okay, we'll get we'll get into that. Because um, I wanted I wanted to talk to you uh, quickly about uh, the the two pictures that you sent me of your I'm gonna call like air quotes campsite. One of which was yes. with with the caption, "What the f have I let myself in for?" <laughs> so just take us through uh, take us through what the setup was and what amenities you had in that area. Uh, yeah, so the campsite is, um, or at least it was, a field with trees in. Okay. <laughs> um, and apparently, for many years, that was the campsite, but they've decided because there was some kind of fungal infection or something, they've chopped most of the trees down. Okay. Um, but then they haven't moved them. So, right. Imagine, imagine a, a bit of wood where they've chopped the trees down. They've piled some of the logs up in a corner, so there is a bit of space, but there's lots of bits of wood and debris on the floor. Um, there are two portaloos at the far end of the field, um, and after a couple of days, they will put. Some cabling so you can have an electric hook Okay. And that's the campsite. So it's not not too much then. Not not much at all. <laughs> it's it's fairly basic. Um one thing that was good is because we were just next to the golf club, um the the golf guys at the golf club are very um amenable. It's also warned by the ACO, which probably helps. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> you, can, you can drive through the golf club um and they have some they have two outside showers. In the kind of the the clubhouse, yeah. Um, oh, we can use as well. You don't mind driving the three quarters of a kilometre. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, so that was that was what on Saturday that you got yourself set up there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, take me through that sort of that first. I'll call it betting in sort of sequence because I, I know this experience for myself. There's always a, a a period of time on like the first day when you're marshalling somewhere new and it's happened to me at the Bend, it's happened to me at Sandown, it's happened to me at all the tracks that I've been to where you've kind of got this sense of what the heck is going on? I don't know anything around me. I don't know what I'm doing. Whereabouts is this place? Where's my blue flag window? Where's my yellow flag window? Where's the other marshal's post? What's happening on the cans? What am I doing here? Ah, so yeah. how was that experience for you? Yes. So I, again, I was expecting to be on an English post with English marshals. Um, the post chief was uh, an English speaker from Trinidad. Okay. Um, and ev- everyone else was French. Um, properly, properly French. Absolutely delightful guys. Really, really good to work with them. Um, one problem on the test day was the whole circuit was short of marshals. So on a on a good day, they'll have yeah. eighteen hundred marshals. Wow. The um, and our post would typically have twenty four marshals for the week. Oh, so just um, your post. Yeah. Um, so that meant you can have 
Because ideally, what you want, so down on the fourth, um, you've got your kind of debris fencing, and you've got a light box. Every fourth has a light box. Yeah. Um, and so just for those for those at home, lightbox is the basically a button switch thing for the the FIA light flags, basically. So what you would see in an F one race or a WC race that show the flags as lights as opposed to just flags. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, normally you'd have one guy on the light box. Yep. One guy on the flags. Yep. Um, you'd have somebody else observing down there as well. Yep. And then there's um, kind of some banking up. There's a little hill. Yeah. Um, if you ever watch any onboards, you can see because this, this particular post, every post obviously is different. Um, up at the top, you've got the post chief who's the main observer, um, and you've got space for some more marshals. Um, so that if anything happens, they can all run down and do whatever they need to do. Yeah. So like a track so, response team. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so just, normally, just before we we dive too far into this, let's just give a brief explanation of like what roles there are on the post because you you mentioned like the light box, the flaggies, post chief, and the track marshals and the observers. So what what were the response like the role of say the everyone kind of gets what the flaggies are doing because they're the ones waving the flags. Yeah. What about what about the observers? What what would they be doing? What about the post chief? What's what's their role in in this yeah. community? So, um, different races, different events have different kind of sets of rules. So in in England. Typically, you'll turn up for a weekend and you'll be given a role yep. and you'll do that role for the whole weekend. Okay, cool. But Le Mans, and I think in Australia as well, you tend to rotate through the roles. Yeah, so, yeah. As you go through the Yeah, so in, tra- in in Australia, you kind of get lumped into a, a track side role where you do like flags, communications and uh, observer or track side, like a uh, track response as one group. So you can kind of yes. rotate how you feel through that. Yeah. So we tended to rotate through most of the jobs. Yep. So yeah, Flaggy does the flagging, fairly obvious. The guy with the light box has the, um, the uh, I forget the name for it now, but there's, there's four radio links at Le Mans. So there are four different sets okay. of radios going out to the marshals. So there's two for the inside, two for the outside. And then each of those, there's one for the signaller and one for the post chief. Okay, so the, but, the, the light box is also the communications guy. Yes. So wow. whoever has the light box has the headset. Um, and it's, it should be mostly one-way communication. So things, when you hear Eduardo's counting down for full cloth yellows and things like that, we have a different guy on the radio counting down for us for the same thing. Yes. So we can put out the boards and the lights at the right time. So whoever's got the light box has to shout to the flaggy, we're going to a full cloth yellow in 30 seconds, yeah. and then count down 10, 5, and so on. Um, so you've got those two jobs. You've got somebody else down there just to observe, not in a particularly formal way, but just to kind of keep an eye out on things. So you've got three people. Um, it might be, if if you need to wave two yellow flags and hold the safety car board, that's, you need three arms. So yeah. having three people just makes it a bit easier. If you've got those. Uh, the post chief's job is to be uh, an official observer. So the post chief doesn't really get involved with anything directly. If, you know, if a car hits the barrier and breaks into pieces... The marshals will go and deal with that, but the post people stay on post, stay on his radio, and communicate with the race control what's going on. Yeah, so he's, well, yeah, the, the chief. He's like the captain of the post. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you have your track marshal, whose job is to kind of be alert and ready um, so that if something happens, they can go deal with it. First priority, obviously, always is to get the driver safe. Yeah. Um, and anything else, cleaning up debris, dealing with oil, anything like that, kind of after that. Yeah, cool. So, so twenty four marshals over the course of a weekend, but the test day yes. you had how many? 
at six. Right, okay. I think, sorry, no, we had five, sorry. One of the guys didn't turn up. So we had five. So you had five to manage the, what, the two four-hour sessions? That's that's a big day in anyone's book. Yeah, yeah. So normally we try and split into three teams of eight. Yeah. So that you can have some downtime at any point. Um, but with a team of five, what we, we had the post chief at the top, two singlers, Flaggy and Lightbox at the bottom, and two track marshals at the top. And every hour we just rotate. Yeah. Um, and that was it. That was that was the day for it. was nine hours of track sessions. On the, on the testing. And and how did that feel for you? I, I got a few mess I remember getting a few messages <laughs> from you saying that it was uh not quite what you were expecting or not quite what you were uh hoping you'd signed up for. Yeah, Saturday morning, actually Sunday morning was on the test day was was a bit rough. Um but every every time you go to a new circuit, it's and every time you go to a new port on a circuit that you know you've got to work out where where the different points are where you make decisions. So where I was stood, as you look up the track, um, you can see the cars come around the kink. Yeah, so and back towards oncoming look, traffic, yeah. Yeah. So if you look at the map, the kink looks relatively minor. But when you stood at the track, you can't see the corners, you can't see the cars at all until they're round, fully around the kink. Yeah. And so you see the cars, and the, the port chief there, they always tend to stay in the same place had given us a particular point um, on the track where you have to make a decision by that point. If you're going to glue, glue them before you get to that point. Because once they've got past that point, you risk kind of shocking them when you throw a blue flag out. Yeah. And you risk causing an incident. So the rule is, once they've passed that point, if you decide after that they need a glue, it's too late, don't bother. Yeah. Because it's more dangerous than... than Or they're just not going to see it because their eyes are focused further ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, and particularly with you know when you've got hypercars and you've got GT cars, the speed difference is pretty significant. And even even at Vmax, really... even at Vmax, because the GT car oh, tops yeah. out at what three hundred and five kilometers per hour or something like that. Okay, I mean yeah, it could be they're bloody fast. I'll yeah. Take that. <laughs> um, so yeah, so they, the, the the reason for the blue flags, you know, a lot of people are for seeing Formula One. Obviously, this audience has seen a lot of sports cars. Um, but in Formula 1, a blue flag means get the hell out of the way that someone's pulled through. Yeah. Hamilton or the Shepard or somebody. And you've got three blue flags to get out of the way or you're in big trouble. In sports car racing, as we know, the the nature of the blue flag is to warn you that someone either about to overtake you or somebody approaching you from behind. Just so that you know. Because one of the dangers at these kind of speeds, 300 kilometers an hour, if somebody moves at the last minute, touch somebody it's going to be a big accident and for and so, example at Mulsanne Corner uh, it was only what eight years ago that Anthony Davison had a Ferrari turn uh, a Ferrari a GT Ferrari turned down on him at the kink yeah. at Mulsanne and ended up flipping a Toyota into the barriers at Mulsanne Corner so that's exactly why you need that warning to, to yeah. let you know that there's someone faster approaching yes and there's certainly the, the crash I had in mind given the post it was the Rockenfeld crash oh yeah of course in- 2011. Whatever year that was, yeah. Which was down towards Indy, but again, it was a very straight, very fast section. If you have a crash there, it's going to be going to be a big one. Yeah. So trying to get your eye in with the blue flags is, is really tricky because you've got that time, but you've got to think six seconds to work out whether they need a blue or whether they're close enough, whether they're closing quickly enough. Um, and trying to identify the cars from nearly a kilometre away um, is surprisingly difficult. Um 
you can look at the headlights, uh, even in the daytime, the headlights are on, mm. but it can be quite deceptive because the LMP2 headlights and the Ferrari headlights look very similar. Oh, okay. Um, it's easy to spot the Porsche because they've got very distinctive headlights, but yeah, the Ferrari and LMP2 were almost identical in the daytime. Wow. Okay, so that, so it's uh, another sort of factor that I hadn't thought about, and, and I guess at that sort of speed, even if it is a kilometer away, they're on you before you've even sort of computed it at that point. Yeah, yeah. So it definitely took a while to get my eye in, and I, I think, from having talked to other marshals, I think I'm worse than other marshals for this, but I get very cross with myself yeah. when I get it wrong. Um, and so I was kind of on Sunday morning, I kept trying to get it right and I kept just not quite getting it right and felt a bit stupid and was starting to wonder have I made a mistake coming here am I well, I've been marshalling for three and a half years now you know do I need more experience to do this should I be am I going to be a liability if I carry on doing this um by the afternoon felt much happier felt like I've got my eye in um and really enjoyed the afternoon so the morning I was a bit down yeah um and a bit grumpy with myself which I think was when I'd messaged you yeah yeah uh, but yeah <laughs> By the afternoon, I was I was loving life and was was really in the flow of things. That's uh, that, that's awesome to hear, and I can certainly understand that a few uh, that feeling of uh, like when you're at a Marshall post somewhere new for the first time, and you just it takes you so long to get up to a standard where you want to be, and you make some really bad blue flag calls, and you'll just be like, oh, I totally should have done that and you watch the cars whiz past and the pass passes on and you go oh i should have blue flagged it or the other hand you'll flag something and then they'll come past you and there's like eight me- 80 meters between them you're like what what do i even what am i even doing here it's it's easy to kind of I, I guess especially in the situation where you're with people who don't even speak your language and you're in a, a new country or a foreign country and uh at a, at a post at a circuit that you're not familiar with and you're making mistakes it's easy to kind of fall into your shell in that situation isn't it yeah definitely um and yeah the language barrier did what at some points was a little bit of an issue yeah um not because of anything the french guys did the french guys were really really welcoming um but just that difficulty of sometimes um particularly later on when there were a few marsh few more marshals about they would be chatting to each other in french having a conversation and it's just hard not to feel excluded by that yeah because because you physically can't, you know, you pick up every fourth or fifth word, and by the time you've kind of processed and worked out what they've said, they've moved on, and there's no opportunity to chip in, or you can't join in the conversation. Yeah, so that's that's kind of another complicating factor with with that. How, how did you how did you deal with with that sort of thing across the week? We're kind of moving away from that test day into the rest of the week now. How, how do you yeah. how do you deal with I guess that's a very sort of extreme version of not gelling with the people at your post. So I've had, I've had that experience as well. Sometimes when you're on a new uh, on a post and it's a group of people you've not worked with before, and you just kind of don't gel all that easily. Is that kind of that experience, or is it different because it's a, a different language and that sort of thing? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it was that we didn't gel because actually we we did really get on. I thought that there were any real fallings out amongst any, you know any. Not even falling out, but it, everyone did really get on well together and helped each other. Oh, and, nice! That's you know, good. Very welcoming. Um, and so, and so, I've got a bit of French, so I could chip in with bits and bobs. And it was easier one on one. So if I was sat next to someone talking to them, we could manage. Yeah. But it was only kind of those big group bits. Uh, but as we went on, one of the best things I did actually was I had a notebook with me, and on I think it must have been maybe the Thursday, maybe the Wednesday, I got the notebook out, so I actually just jot down. Bits of French that I picked up over the week, things like the French for race control and 
Spectrum Arm Corps and things like that. Yeah. Um, and then the the Ajwan, who's kind of the, the second in command, kind of the deputy corps chief, um, came over, took this book off me with a big grin on his face and started writing out bits of extra bits of French form. Um, so initially it was things um, like some of the radio calls. Okay. And then moved on to some sex positions. <laughs> um, right. He gave me the, uh, the web address of a, a website specifically for English marshals to help me translate um, what French marshals were talking about. Yeah. Uh, which I had my suspicions about. Um, and it was a French call site. <laughs> That, that's okay. That's that's bloody funny. That's great sense of humor. So, oh yeah, it was it was good. Um, and so you know, we we developed some jokes, and you know, we took the piss out of each other, um, and we just had a really really good time. Nice. That that sounds good because because there's quite a bit of time, I guess, downtime between the the practice day or the test day, which would traditionally be two weeks ahead of the event. But for this year, it was one week ahead of the event, and then the actual beginning of track action come. Uh, I think it was Wednesday this year. So the, those those three or four days in between, uh, how how did you feel that time? Um, because for me, when I've done interstate marshalling or uh, you know longer marshalling trips, the the marshalling is the trip. So I didn't really have any downtime. So like the last time I did an interstate trip was 2019 at Sandown. So I drove over to Melbourne on the Thursday was marshalling from Friday morning to Sunday night and then drove home first thing on Monday. So what did you do in that sort of downtime between the, the practice or the test day rather and then the start of proper track action come Wednesday? Yeah. So it was only two days this year. So it was Monday, Tuesday. Yeah. Um, and then Wednesday was back into track action again. Uh, so the Monday I went up to the museum uh, to have a look around there. And that was brilliant. I mean, if anyone has the chance to go to the museum, it is absolutely phenomenal. And it's that's the, the the Le Mans 24 Hour Museum? Yes. Yeah. So just uh, it's just opposite the start line. Oh, wow. Uh, on the outside of the circuit. And um, I've, I've shared some pictures on the Discord at the time. And there's just there's a, there's a massive room where they have the little die cast models, the tiny little ones. Um, and they have every car from every race. Wow. Uh, all organized by year. That's, so, uh, so, and they'd be, they must be specialty. Like you wouldn't be able to buy any of them anywhere. I've genuinely no idea, but they were phenomenal. And there were just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cars from starting from kind of, you know, the late 1800s, right the way up. You've got the, the Nissan LMP ones in there. Um, the race winning Porsche 919. Yeah. I don't think it's a record that it probably is, but that's in there. Um, there are lots of times the, um, the Mazda, it's 787. Yes. Um, the kind of the plaid coloured one. There and there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cars. Um, I'm not very technical with some of the, with most of the cars, um, but I recognise lots and lots of fantastic ones. If you're an engineering nerd, <laughs> absolutely, just you know you could you could stay in there for days. And wow. Awesome. And then uh, you put up a, a, yeah. a brilliant video on on the uh, the subreddit as well of of the track. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I had a go driving the track, which is always good fun. So, Sunday, for obvious reasons, the circuit's closed. Yeah. Um, and then Monday, Tuesday, it's open. So, drove down the public roads as much as possible. Um, can't do the Porsche Purse to Tet Rouge because that's all permanent racetrack. Yeah. Um, and there are a couple of bits on the, the Mulsanne Strait or the Hunodia, um, where you have to go up the roundabout and off the circuit. But I managed to do most of the track, which was pretty cool. Because 
one thing I've noticed much, well, not mastering, but just going to circuits, is you can look at a circuit on TV, you can play it on a computer game, but when you go there for the first time, it looks completely different yeah. to the way you imagine every single time. Yeah, and there's um, always things so that surprise you. There's always things that surprise you when you go to a new circuit. Like, I remember my first time at Bathurst and finally understanding why it was called Skyline because you you can't see anything. You get to the track there and you look across and it's just sky and the track just disappears and you don't know where it is. And I, I expect, yeah, it is. It's crazy. I expect at Le Mans, there's certainly some of those moments there as well for you. Yeah, I mean, the whole, I mean, Indianage, I've always loved Indianage. And when you're playing it, that kind of, that turn into Indy is so difficult to get right. And then seeing what it's like in in real life. So that right-hand kink, and then it's really steeply banked. I mean, it's not, not Zandor steeply banked. <laughs> surprisingly steeply banked Indianapolis corner. Um, and then the tanks of Arnage, and you're going around, I think it's like 40, 50 kilometre limits on with public road. Oh, no, it's a roundabout even. But then seeing how tight it is in real life is just phenomenal. Um, and understanding things like how more Paul works mm. uh, with the roundabout and the kind of um, the slip road almost that is the circuit if you go around the inside. So it's, yeah, it's definitely something good to do. And normally you can, um, they, they open and close the circuit every day. Yeah. Um, but for this time, they were trying to compress everything in so much. They closed it Wednesday morning and they opened it Sunday night. Oh, wow. Closed the time. So, so no, no traffic down the Mulsan, not even in any of the morning uh, breaks no. at all. Wow. No. Um, it also meant as well, once you do your shopping on the Tuesday, um, you can get out of the circuit, but not easily. Yeah. Um, you pretty much, you know, and you've got no time. So do shopping on the Tuesday, buy things in cans without having to go off. Um, and you're there till Sunday night. And that's something that I think kind of gets lost when people talk about like marshalling experiences around the around the world. Really, is that it's not just the time that you're on post that is a part of the experience, but also the time like in between sessions, like overnight. So yeah, the, the fact that like for example at Bathurst, I was was camping at the circuit for Sandown. We because uh, that's more residential. Uh, we were able to get like a B and B and actually have somewhere to sleep properly. But uh, I mean, for Lamar, like the fact that you're trapped inside the circuit for five days, effectively, that must be to have to plan around that and to to sort of experience that. That must have been something quite different. Because what, what's it like? What was that like compared to say Croft? Um, in terms of yeah. how how you manage that around the the, the track time. Yeah, so at Croft, so I might go on a Friday after work and, and camp there. Yeah. Um, we, there's a gang of us usually get a takeaway, so we get some pizzas delivered on a Friday night and some something else on a Saturday night. So we kind of take some snacks to keep you going during the day, but kind of nothing really to worry about in terms of cooking. Yeah. Here, obviously, I was you know driving down on the Saturday and I was there for a week and a bit. So you had to have enough food to be able to kind of survive for the week. Um, and it's it's. They really worked as hard, and we'll kind of get to that, I'm sure. Um, but the, the timetable this week was so much worse than usual, partly because the ACO um, stalled the Friday. Normally, the Friday is a, a day off for the marshals. Yeah. But to try and recoup money, uh, they put a five-hour fun cup race on and some other support. So the Friday was another race day. Um, so we didn't get a day off. Um, so you kind of, you've got to find time to, to heat up a tin of something and, and find something to eat. But again, you're on this campsite with your postmate. You're just you're staring with them, you're eating with them, you're drinking with them, um, and it's 
it just kind of increases that sense of of teamwork and you kind of bond with each other because you do just literally live with each other for that week. You're you're basically a family for that week in that sense then. Yeah. Wow. That's kind of nuts. <laughs> so and like normally like in my experience, you'd have a, a, a sign on every single morning where you'd get like a box lunch and some snacks for the day and then maybe if you're lucky there'd be a group who would be dedicated to go around during the day and offer you drinks or extra snacks um or for for a long day. But is there was there anything like that at Lamar? Uh not really. The club so with the two things we did have um yeah. was where the post is they parked the transit van um and put must have been 400 bottles of water in there. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So we had plenty to drink. Yeah. Um, and then one of the guys from the golf club came over with an espresso. Oh, um, oh. Um, I only did that twice, but uh, one of the guys had a, had a coffee maker with him as well. So we could have some coffee. Um, and being English, I had a little camping stove in the kettle and made myself some tea every now and again. Uh, <laughs> the French marshal thought was hilarious because the French don't do tea. They don't do tea at all? No. Wow. Um, I mean, you can buy tea, but it's very rare. Yeah. Um, and so they thought it was hilarious that at two in the morning during the middle of the race, I whipped out my camping stove and just made a cup of tea. <laughs> they thought that was great. They were taking photos to send to their mates. Wow. Proved they were on post of an English market. <laughs> you were the stereotypical Brit. How does that make you feel? <laughs> oh, it was good. It was all good fun. It was yeah. all good fun. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so let's let's talk about some some track action, some race action now. So you mentioned that you you had a stacked schedule of what was it? So Wednesday to Sunday, effectively with the, with the twenty four hours. How yeah. to to marshal at that post, at post nineteen, with the cars at effectively Vmax between the the Mulsan Kink and Mulsan Corner. How do you cope with that after you know one one hour session, two hour session, four hour session? 24-hour session. How do you how do yeah. you kind of wrap your brain around doing that? Um, once you get into it, you just kind of get into it. Um, okay. And the best thing to do is just kind of soak up the experience because there was quite a few times I was just kind of stood there with my own thoughts, watching the cars go by, listening to the, the Corvette, which is my new favourite GT car. Yeah. Because you see it come past and it's screaming as all the GT cars do. And it goes around the bottom kink into the Mulsanne corner and you just hear the downshifts and the downshifts just sound like someone's splitting rocks. <laughs> um, it just is a phenomenal sound. And so you just stand there, you know, when you're, when you're down at the flight point, you know, you're concentrating, you're always concentrating on the blues. That's always the thing that you're looking for because that's the thing that happens all the time is the blue flags. Yeah. Um, so, so just, just quickly, um, Clarkson, was it, uh, Normally, normally in my experience, it's two people on a flag post. So one person looking at oncoming for blues, one looking at, or one person looking at outgoing uh, for incidents, like yeah. for yellows. So is that, is that the same uh, at that situation as well? Uh, yeah, so during the day, you had the flaggy looking up the track towards yeah. the cars coming towards you, uh, and the the light box guy facing the opposite way. Okay, so... So they so can see everything. That's interesting. I, I'm surprised that the you have so much... Um, uh, responsibility or roles rather uh, assigned to one person to have like the light box and the communications and to be watching for incidents. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that sounds like, I think, I think, I think normally you'd have more people, but this year when we were shorthanded. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's maybe what the third person would do. Um, so yeah, so the, 
the guy with the light box is pressing the blue button when they see the flag, you get the blue out. Yeah. And then they're also watching for anything happening um, after the call. Yeah, cool. Um, so we'll, I'll ask you this one straight out. Did, was there anything that ever happened at your, at your sector? Was there any incidents that you had to whip a yellow out for? Uh, there were a few minor ones, nothing major, which okay. is good. That's good, yeah. Because, um, yeah, some posts, you kind of look forward to something exciting happening. Uh, this one, kind of not so much. Cause yeah, because anything really exciting happening at, at 19, you would expect to be something big and something scary. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we had um, we had an LMP3 stop at our post at one point. Yeah. Um, I can't remember why. It was nothing major, but we, you know, got the driver out and waited for the car to be picked up. Um, and there were a couple of times where cars dropped debris, uh, including the four horsemen, Aston, uh, shed its tyre in the middle of the night just oh, after wow. our post. Um, which was quite good fun. So in the middle of the night, what you have to do is walk down the side of the arco on the, obviously on the, the safer side of the arco, uh, with a torch and try and find where he's left his tyre because we can we can see it come off. Yeah. But then once it's gone, there's no light. It's absolutely pitch black. So we have to go down and find it. Uh, thankfully, it was on the other side of the crown of the road. It was on because there's a Marshall Port exactly opposite us on the other side. Okay. Um, so they had to top the barrier and grab that and bring it back, and we didn't, which was good. <laughs> a bit a bit <laughs> nerve wracking to be doing that in the middle of the night. Yeah, um, we only do that when there's a safety car or a false course yellow. Yeah, okay. Um, and I think during the Fun Cup race on our side, uh, we managed to get about two thirds of the right-hand side of the Fun Cup car. Um, what? Hit somebody, and he just peeled the car. It's all because it's just a carbon fiber bunch on yeah. the top. And he hit somebody somewhere, um, and it slowly peeled the side of the car back. And as he went past our post, it just let go. Into about four pieces and just massive chunks of fiberglass, um, and we managed to put it back together, and it looked like a fun cup car. <laughs> oh, please tell me you've got a photo of that somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah, I've got a photo. Oh my gosh, I need to see this at some stage. Okay, fantastic. That's going to be the cover photo for this episode. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> um, so, uh, damn, that sounds that sounds rad. Was there in that instance when you've had the fun cup car shed its bodywork? Was there any risk of it? coming over the fence and impacting you at all or were you able to was it safely contained either within the circle or, or or away from the marshal post yeah so it happened to be that it was it was past us as it came off okay yeah uh, but we've got such an exception um the, the last post before us is on the exit of the, the kind of the big kink if you like yeah uh the next post is is multi corner so it's a really big section that we're kind of looking over. oh okay so you got to um, jog down and grab it yeah, so yeah. the chances of it hitting us were pretty slim, and we've got the big debris fence yeah. uh, where the flag point is, so we were pretty safe, really. That's good. So it, uh, for the Fun Cup, like the la- how long were the lap times? Like six minutes, seven minutes? Uh, I think five minutes, four was pull time. Okay, so were you given permission to jump out and grab it in between, like while, while the track was hot, in between the laps? Or was it like... So- I think at one point it was either a safety car or a full course yellow okay. that we retrieved it under. So we waited. So when it came off, we didn't call the the neutralisation because of that. Yeah. Um, it was safety not. But once the neutralisation came, we went and grabbed it. 
Yeah, okay, cool, 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 cool. Um, I, I want to ask you about what you did in between your times on post because uh, there's a, a few different schools of thought when it comes to, to marshalling and what you do when you're not actively on post. So uh, there's some people who will uh, sit there and still pay attention and will sit with a view and sort of act as like a, a an extra spotter or will fill in a role if something needs to be done. There's some people who will just not pay attention to the race at all. They'll go sit out the back and do their own thing for a while and completely disconnect. What what did you do across that weekend when you weren't assigned a role on post, uh, yeah, for the week? Yeah, uh, slept, basically. <laughs> so, yeah, the, <laughs> so Wednesday to Friday, uh, we were all on post all the time. Yeah. And it was um, up, at, up at six, on post at seven, um, and then sessions on track till midnight. Yeah, that's so they were bloody hard work. Back, that's it. Um, Friday was a slightly early finish, to be fair. But um, then Saturday, which is race day, again sessions start at nine in the morning. Yeah. So it is another full day. But for the for the race weekend from Saturday to Sunday, we split into two teams. Okay. Um, and it was it was about the minimum number we could manage two teams with. So I think it was five on a team. Yeah. Um. So we did the first session. So we did the first. I think it was the port race, uh, and then we had the next session off which was the historic race. So for that, um, I drove up to the back of Indianapolis. Yeah. Um, and because I had my orange on and I had my passes, I could get around to the Marshall's post there um, and chilled out for kind of 20 minutes or so uh, behind Indianapolis inside Arnage, uh, watching the historics, which was just fantastic. Um, and there's a point at Indy uh, where there's a big catch fence on the exit, which you kind of expect. Yeah. And there's a point where it, the cap fencing stops and you've just got the tyres because nobody stands there. And then it goes around to Arnage. I'm stood there watching these cars fire out of Indianapolis straight to the wall there's no cap fencing, thinking this is just the coolest thing I've ever done. And after about five minutes, thinking this is probably the stupidest thing I've ever done. <laughs> Moved down a little bit. So I'm really glad I got to see it from there, but it definitely was not the safest place to stand. Yeah, it's, it's one of those oh, things that you, cool. your brain is thinking, wow, this is cool, before it thinks, wow, this is unsafe. And I've been in that situation uh, one or two times as well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can totally understand how you kind of get like wrapped up in that moment for a second. And yeah. it, is nice, it is nice to have a bit of a change of scenery as well when you're on a martial post. Just kind of go for a walk and interact with some of the other yeah. marshals and just get a bit of a different view of things. Yeah, and one of the things I was really looking forward to was the because I was expecting to be in two or three teams and have a fair bit of downtime just to explore, which sadly didn't get much of, but that one was quite cool. Yeah. Um, and then the next downtime session was the Road to Le Mans race. So for that, we went up to the, the village, which is the kind of the area um, behind the paddock where all the spectators, kind of um, the shops and the stalls and all that kind of okay. stuff is. Kind of the inside of turn one um, and just had, again, for 20 minutes or so, so not a huge amount of time, uh, but bought a hot dog, um, I just had a little potter up with the, the crowd, see that, that run into turn one, um, and just kind of experience that before I drove back down again. Cool. So, so certainly not wanting for things to do if you were trying to get away from no. the, the post. No. Um, and then once race started, so we did the first session. So the way we split up, every post was different. Yeah. But we did the first three hours, uh, and then we had three hours off to go get something to eat for the evening. So this was kind of seven till ten. Yeah. We had some downtime. So I had something to eat and tried to get some sleep. Not very successful, but managed to get kind of half an hour of dozing in a bed uh, in the tent. Uh, and then back on port, 
for the 10 till 40. Okay. Which I was quite scared because 10 pm till 4 am. Some of it's going to be really rough. And it went in a flash. It really did. Okay. So um, I, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by that. So I, I want to ask you about like marshalling at night, like in proper darkness, but I'll leave that for a sec. Something that I've, yeah. I've noticed in those sort of situations is that. You, they're kind of blinking you miss it so I wanted, I wanted to sort of get your get your thoughts on how how do you I, what am I trying to ask here because six hours that's a full WEC race that you're you're sitting there on post or uh, if you're what were you rotating through positions or were you trying to keep things fresh or it was just you are here you are in this moment and that that is where you are is this just where the marshalling yeah. haze just came through and before you knew it, it was gone so yeah, what we so we we did um, an hour on the flag point, yeah. and then an hour up on the on the banking, um, kind of just observing, and then just rotate through those two for the for the night. So you are breaking it up, so it's not six hours in one big spin. Um, and then when you sat down, you've got time, you've got a chance to make a cup of tea, um, have a laugh with the, the guys you're on post with, and and kind of and also to watch the race and see what's going on. There's a bit of time. Uh, again, because you're not in a point of danger, you can get your phone out and have a look. You don't want to sit on your phone the whole time, but you yep. can see what's going on with the race, see who's in the lead, see who's broken down, um, have a look, see if you can see what the gaps are, um, and things like that. So you can follow the race a little bit uh, during the night. Uh, but the key thing is being on the flag point is, excuse the language, fucking awesome. <laughs> the most exciting and fun thing I've ever done marshalling ever. Wow. Um, and I was really, that last hour flagging um, on the light box at night, I was really conscious that this is the last time I'll probably ever be doing this at this point in this experience and just really, really soaking in the, just the sounds and the sights and the experience because it's just so much fun. Yeah, damn. That, that kind of like waking awareness of like, this is the last time I'm going to do this. That is, that is. I'm glad that you got to make the most of that experience because that's. I'm a little jealous. I'm a lot jealous, actually. Truth be told, very, <laughs> very lot jealous. Um, yeah, damn. So, so what about what about like marshalling at night? The the difficulties of uh, dealing with not only the cars going past at f off kilometers per hour uh, that you have to deal with during the day, but how do you, how do you sort of dial your your brain into dealing with that? based off just a set of headlights and and yeah the and what what happens to time in that instance does time become entirely meaningless um i think the entire week time becomes the time becomes half hour or one hour block yeah because i I guess um, because you're dictated by by the schedule right so it's like okay we got one hour of this and then it's half hour break and then yeah yeah so you've whoever's got the light box there's a little clock on the light box so what we do um again because even at night you're not flagging for obvious reasons. You can't see the flags. Yeah. Um, but you, you'll you swap one guy looking up the track, one guy looking down the track, and you'll swap after half an hour. So you've got that clock there. So you've got an idea of this half-hour chunk of time. And then it's just that half-hour just exists as a pocket universe when you're just in that moment for that half-hour. Um, and actually flagging at night, I found much easier than flagging at day. Okay. Um, Why is that? The key thing is... Um, I'm not entirely sure, but the in the pitch black, it doesn't sound very obvious, but the most important thing is to wear sunglasses. During the day, I found sunglasses really difficult, actually, and they kind of um, reduced your visibility to see what was coming. Okay. It was really bright in the daytime. Sunglasses actually were worse. But at night, um, 
the headlights, all you can see again, there's no lights anywhere, there's no ambient light at all. So you're just having headlights coming towards you. And having the sunglasses on just dulls them ever so slightly. Um, and you can start to pick out the closing speed. So it's kind of, it would make sense that what you're usually looking for with blue flags is a hypercar coming up behind a GT or an LMP2 coming behind a GT. But that's not always the case, especially in the practice phase. Yeah. Because sometimes you have a, a hypercar going not very fast and sometimes the GT is going to get past. But what you need is the closing speed. And at night, you kind of don't have anything else. You've got the sunglasses on, you can't see anything to the side. You've just got the headlights. And you've got no idea what car it is. You, you, even when they've gone past, you didn't know if it was a Toyota, if it was a, a P2, if it was a GT. You just couldn't tell. Um, so you're just looking at the closing speeds on the lights. And because everything else is removed, I actually found it easier to spot what was going on. That's I, I can totally understand, but that is still very fascinating. It's kind of like it's kind of like the point where because you've lost all other frame of reference, all you have is the one thing that you need to focus on. Yeah, yeah. So, how does I, I, I'm there's 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 an experience in that that I'm, I'm trying to get you to share, but I don't know exactly know the question that I want to ask to get you to share that. Um, I, I guess the, the, it's it's a bit of like the the sort of catharsis feeling like how how does how does having only that to focus on why does that make marshalling so good it's just in general i don't know because if you know i've i got into motorsport watching motorsport and watching the racing and the, the one thing that i didn't see for pretty much the whole of the race was racing because in that one moment you can't you can lap people but you can't really overtake people in the middle of motorsport straight it's just not you didn't really see any you didn't you didn't get the thing you see on the TV when you see the battle through this corner and that corner and people setting up an overtake four corners earlier you don't get that and again that seems like that would be a loss but there's just something very satisfying I think about doing a job and doing it well yeah. and getting it right and um, a few weeks after Le Mans actually somebody posted on the discord um, and on board, and I think it was the SRT car, and they were in the middle of the night, they're driving down, and they'd lapped a GT car coming into the second chicane. And then they came out of the second chicane, and as they went past one of the light boxes, somebody flashed the blue at them, um, because they saw the two lights, and it's dead easy to get it wrong. Um, they saw the two lights, thought it was going to be an take press the button. And you could see the driver, because it, it was like a helmet cam. Mm. You could see the driver check his mirrors to see if there was someone about to overtake him and then realise, oh no, it's not it's the GT car, that's fine, and then move on. And it was really telling that when you're at the side of the track for you know for a week just repeatedly pressing the speed button or waving the blue flag, it's hard to really appreciate whether what you're doing is is actually of any use and whether anyone actually gives a crap. Yeah. But it was really interesting to see that, but actually the driver was responding to the blue flags. And, and taking that information on board. But when you get these blue flags right, and you get these cars going past, it's just a sense of achievement and involvement. You know, I'll, I'll never be a race driver, I'll never be a team owner or a mechanic, but I can be involved, I can be part of Mamon, and equally, I can be part of some little club race with some Mazda MX-5 running around as well. And it's just, I think that's for me what marshalling is, it's being involved in part of the whole experience. 
that's. I don't know if that answers the question. But no, that's... Uh, that's that, you, that was perfect. That was absolutely perfect because I totally understand that feeling as well. That feeling of just being able to be involved and being able to service something that you love so much, and I, I totally get that. And I, I, I even have a bit of my own story to tell with with the blue flags. There's one time that I've ever blue flagged the leader of a race and that, uh, we've all done that no uh yeah exactly and i <laughs> but the thing is it was i did it on purpose and i knew it was the leader as well it was uh at the bend the gt3 endurance race they had it would have been 2019 um where the leader had run out of fuel on their way back to the pits uh and i saw we saw the the slow car we'd heard over the radio that was running slow uh and I saw the the trailing battle uh, come over the hill because I was at the the penultimate corner. I was at turn 17. So you see the cars come over the rise at turn 16 to dive into the braking area for 17. So I saw them come over the hill. So I put the blue flag out and then they made the pass on the exit of that corner. I didn't realize until I went back and watched that race later that they'd actually zoomed straight in on the leader of the race, which was Jamie Winkup. They'd zoomed straight in on the front of his car and you could see his his face through the helmet. And when the blue flag flashed at him, which you could see the reflection of that in the windscreen, you saw his, I could see his eyes dart up to his mirrors to actually see the cars coming behind. So like that, that your story of the SRT41 car, like that is exactly the same sort of thing. That moment where you realize that, Yes, what I'm doing at the side of the road is is noticed and is useful. But, yeah. but the problem with that is, of course, that a good day from a event standpoint is when the marshals do nothing. Yes. Um, and again, the one of the things about multi-class racing that I love so much, um, again, whether it's Le Mans, whether it's the local um, club racing event, is that the marshals have much more chance to make a difference. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, we, you know, we flagged the port race, and in the port race, you know, no one's going to get lapped because yeah. it's a 45-minute race on a five-minute lap. Um, so, by the, you know, by the time anyone's stretched out anywhere, there's just not going to be any blue flags. So then we're just there for safety, which is, which is why we're there anyway. Um, and, yeah, those races are a bit less exciting as the marshal. Um, unless, of course, one of them loses it into the Mulsanne corner and lights off eight lengths of arm court, um, mm. and then we finish the race under a safety car. Then you're very busy, and then that's yes. not good because, <laughs> no. yeah, as as I said, the the when when the marshals are very busy, that's not often an indication that something's gone wrong. Yeah, um, yeah, and again, what in England, I, I I like flagging in England because we tend to have that one rule for the weekend. And it can be quite boring sometimes being a track marshal if nothing happens. Mm. And but when you're when you're on the flag point, you're always watching, ready for something, and you're much more alert. And you follow not at Le Mans because you can't, but you follow who the leader is. You follow where the battles are, and you if you've got an idea who's first, who's last, who needs a blue flag during the race, and who doesn't. At Le Mans, you've got no point. You know where we were. We were all passing through the back, and so. You know, we think that the phone call, the five-hour phone call race, trying to track who was the leader when every car is a phone call car yeah. and there's pit stops is just impossible because even after a safety car, you by the time they get to us, they've started to stretch out again and just trying to follow it is beyond impossible. 
So, so having less, um, what am I trying to say here? Because, because of course, if you if you're able to have that sort of more immediate information of this is who the leader is, I can see them coming. These are where the battles are. I can maybe think about when they might need lapping or blue flags or that sort of stuff. Uh, certainly, I've seen that at smaller circuits, and I'm expecting you would have that knowledge at Croft. Yeah. Ha- does having the absence of that information at a track like Lamar, which is so much bigger and you know the the information can be outdated by the time the the cars get to you does that make it easier or harder are you less focused on your preconceived expectations of what's about to happen because of the lack of information or is it harder because you're looking for something that isn't there in the early stages of the race it's definitely harder so okay. we we had an incident in the first the first section of the lap at the start of the big race, yeah, um, which meant that the the order of the cars was jumbled up. So normally, in in a sprint race, you would blue flag when the leader catches a back marker. But now you've got a situation where you've got a hypercar coming through the field, passing GT cars for position. You've got the question: Do they get a blue flag because it's for position, so they shouldn't? But they're faster, so they should. And it becomes a bit complicated. And then. Thankfully, after about the first hour, once the pit, once you're at the pit stops, you just kind of forget who's in the lead and don't care. Yeah. And you just look for those, those overtakes. So there are occasions where I'm sure I blue flagged an LMP2 car that was being passed by an LMP2 car for position or being chased by an LMP2 car for position. And you kind of trust the drivers at that point to know where they're up to with their race because we can't. Yeah. You know, from a distance, you might be able to tell it's an LMP2. You can't tell which LMP2. Yeah, of course. So it's really close to you. I was going to say you just kind of get into that that phase of looking for that closing speed and blue flagging, and almost like with the nighttime sunglasses thing, you just kind of start to exclude all the other information. It actually makes life a bit easier, if anything. Yeah, brilliant. Oh, it's it's so cool to actually like talk talk about this and and hear these experiences from a marshalling perspective. So. What about what about the last stretch of the race? Did you have a, another stretch on the post? before the end of the race, after the, the 10 till 4? Yeah. Yeah. So um, 4 till 10 in the morning was sleep time. Yeah. So straight to bed. Uh, and then back for 10 till 1 um, for a three-hour session. And that was fairly uneventful. Uh, and then for the last three hours, technically I'm off duty. But the last hour, everyone comes back um, to kind of finish off together and do the... Um, we watch the last hour... And then we go out and we do that big flag waving on the middle of the track kind yeah. of end of the race, which is really cool because you don't do that at any other race. You just um, you just don't do that. So it's quite special. Oh, brilliant. And, and and how was, like, surely it's not just about that getting out in the circuit, but how, how does that feel for you as a uh, personally and, and for the, the group when you get to an end, when you get to the end of a race like that? Um, I, again, it's kind of... Is it, is it's a bit of sweet. Of it. it is definitely, uh, but I think more sweet than bitter. So you've spent this week with your postmates. So you go out together. It's not kind of you don't randomly wander up the track. We we line up um, on the edge of the hard shoulder. So we're in a nice neat row. Um, we've all got a flag each. We've made sure we've all distributed them so everyone gets a chance. Um, you've got your opposites that you never talk to because. They're on the other side of the circuit between you. So the whole week we've seen them and waved at them 
and maybe shouted the odd obscenity at them. Uh, <laughs> but you never really get a chance to talk to them. So again, you line up and you're just two lanes apart for the first time. Um, and you stand there with your flags and as they come through, you wave, which is normally, you know, in a normal race meeting, you'd have 10, 12 sprint races. And one of the best bits is that on the cool down, like you would wave at the drivers and they wave back and it's really good fun. Um, and it's just, it's just a nice bit of communication between you. Yeah. Uh, this one, just, you know, you've had this 24 hours, this whole week of experience and you're right out of the track and they go so slowly. Um, I mean, they're not really, but compared to the 300 kilometers, yeah. it seems like they're going so slowly. You can see the drivers, you can see their eyes, you can see them wave, you can see them look at you and acknowledge you. Um, and then the two glyphic houses came through side by side, which was bloody tight. Especially <laughs> the way they play. Yeah. Um, everyone else was single file, two glyphic houses came through double file. Um, and it was just such a cool moment. And again, one of those, as, as, as it's happening, you're thinking, you know, this is this is kind of what it's all about. This is the the drive, because that was it, Derek Bell, I think, who said um, that he always wanted to do the last stint in the race because he loved the cooldown lap and driving through past all the marshals and waving at everyone. Um, and it's equally as much fun for us. It's a real big part of the event. And then it's all over. Yeah, then we go back, strip the campsite down. Um, the local, you know, those who were within a couple of hours put everything down and went that night. Um, and in fact, people who are really organised, so the, the last car comes through on the cooldown lap, and I would say it was about seven minutes before the first camper van drove down the Mulsan straight past me on the way out. Jeez, I must have and people... been keen to go. <laughs> yeah, so the people, you know, they're already some people are already packed, um, and literally as soon as the race is over, they just jump in their cars. And, you know, as soon as the as soon as the radio got the last cars through, they're off, and it's just it's it's insane. We're still there packing up the the fire extinguishers and putting all the flags back in the van, and there's cars just driving down the mall down straight, disappearing, with people wearing orange outfits. Like, how, how do you feel at, at an event like that when it when it comes to an end? Like, because uh, normally normally my experience for for you know even supercars events is that you have to go back to sign off because you you have to you know say that you've completed and there's often drinks or a barbecue or whatever whatever whatever. When when it's at a track like Le Mans where you've been basically autonomous little units the entire thing, uh, yeah. What what's the what's the process? What's the procedure? How does that sort of feel when you're you're packing down at the end? Um. To an extent, it's fairly normal because what, what I'm used to is the post chiefs of in England, the post chiefs will go back and take the radios back and things. Yeah. And the rest of us just get in our cars and go. Okay. Um, so it tends tends not to be much kind of fanfare once the, once the last session's done. It's just pack up and get out and get home because we're usually pretty tired. It's been a long weekend. Yeah, certainly. Um, so for this one, you know, head back to the campsite, have a haul, um, pack up, help the guys who are leaving the night pack up, um, and then lots of kind of French hugs and, and face kissing and all that kind of stuff that the French do. Um, <laughs> and then it's kind of when you've gone for a family visit, you know, if you ever have a big family get together at somebody's house and, you know, saying goodbye takes an hour by the time everyone said goodbye to everyone. So you have that. Um, and then they go and you're left um, fairly tired, so get some sleep. And the next morning, I'm the one packing my tent up and saying goodbye to the last couple of guys who are left. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of like it was like saying goodbye at the end of a family do. 
Damn. Oh, and like if you compare that to if you compare just the the sort of the end of the day thing. Actually, no. I want to ask a different question. How much interaction did you have with the other marshals? Because you talked about the the fact that you know your opposites, you there yeah. were just uh, not nameless, faceless beings, but they were you never interacted with them because they were outside of your little team. Is that true for all the other marshals around the whole circuit? Did you ever actually get into a situation where you had a, a sort of collective identity or collective meeting, or was it just you are there with your team and that's it? Yeah, pretty much. I think because there's there's eighteen hundred marshals usually, it's far too many to get them all together. Yeah, okay. Um, so there is there's, there's there are two post chief briefings um, in the MM arena. Um, and I've seen some photos of that because we got sent photos from the official photographers afterwards. Um, so there are seventy post chiefs in kind of the conference room. Yeah. Um, so they all get together and they get some photos usually. Um, but for the rest of us, there just isn't an opportunity. Um, you know, when you've got a sign on, you can chat to all the marshals. Um, and if you bump into somebody, if you're wandering around, checking out different viewpoints, you might say hello. But that's pretty much it. You don't really have a... You recognise each other because you're wearing orange. Yeah. Um, and one of the things, because we all have the same overalls, we've all got the same logos if we're on TV. Uh, but it's, you know, you've got that collective feeling. You know who somebody is, but you don't know them. Um, and you don't kind of get to know them. But... There are enough of you on your post. You still feel that you've had a good experience. I think that's super interesting. I wonder. I wonder because because in my experience in Australia, uh, even even at Bathurst, you have a briefing, a sign on briefing every single day with all the marshals. Um, I think. Yeah, you, I think even even at the twelve hour when they're getting, you know, the cars ready to get onto the the onto the track at four thirty in the morning, you still have a sign on briefing at three in the morning yeah and that's that's normal for you know um for croft for cadwell for silverstone yeah even for big events that's normal um but i think le mans being just so enormous and having so many marshals it just wouldn't work i'm gonna do miss out on that but at the same time i didn't really feel that i missed out on it okay that's because... uh, well, it's good that you didn't feel that you missed out yeah yeah um I, I wonder if that's the same for the the Nurburgring, the twenty four hours of the Nurburgring, or even a VLN rain. And, and if you do know, if you have been a marshal at the, the Nurburgring, let us know. I, I'm interested to hear your experience as well, because certainly getting, getting twenty, uh, you know, however many marshal posts across a twenty one kilometer circuit is about as as difficult as at Lamar. Maybe I'll find out next summer. Maybe I'll go do a VLN race or an NLS race. Um, Mate, stop. It's not fair. It's not fair. <laughs> I still, I still haven't been to a racetrack since last year's Adelaide 500. I still haven't. It just it hasn't worked out. Anyway, thoughts, thoughts on your own experience. Um, so I think there are, there are three moments that I will definitely cherish and take with me. Um, one of them is that 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 nighttime flagging. Yeah. Um, so pitch black car screaming past. The sound of I'll never forget the sound of the Corvette downshifting um it was just the most fantastic sound um another one is the flags at the end as the cars are on the cool down lap and the third one was during the race um it was during the daytime i was on the flags and i could see a gt car and i could see an lmp2 behind him and he's closing in closing in so i'm like blue flag waving the blue flag nice nice and clear um and the lmp2 pulls out and he's overtaking the GT car. And I'm thinking, yes, I got that one right. And from nowhere, 
that Tariyota is hiding behind the Yanfi Dukar. God draws the hand and see him. And he pulls on the hard shoulder as he comes past me, just about takes a flag out of my hand as he goes past three wide. And that was that was quite cool. Whoa. <laughs> Blimey. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I had no idea he was there until he pulled out. He'd literally feet from from my paws and just whipped past his flag. Um and that was very, very cool. They're not meant to overtake on the hard shoulder there, but but it happens. It's got to get past three cars. It's going to get done somewhere. Yeah, damn. Yeah, so those were, my, those were my three moments that I always remember. And, and, and how does that compare to your other marshalling experiences, either at Croft or at Silverstone even? Um, for did you Have you done uh, F1 at Silverstone or is that still on the list? I've still not done F1. Um, again, it's got, to, it's got to coincide with holidays because yeah. you've got to be there on the Thursday for F1. Um, so I've not done it yet, but I was I was a bit worried actually. The first meeting back at Croft was just a little club meeting with cage rooms and, and things like that. Um, and I kind of before I went, I thought, am I going to find this a disappointment now having done the one? And it wasn't. I absolutely loved every minute. Um, had loads of fun chatting to the people on post, flagging, popping towers out the way, doing the things that Marshall do. Um, and even though it was you know, caterings that you can buy for £20,000 um, instead of hypercars that you'd spend £30 million on. It was, it was just still great fun, great camaraderie, um, really good fun experience, and just really cool to be doing it again. And how many comments did you get for uh, wearing your Le Mans overalls to craft? How many people, <laughs> how many people gave you shit for that? Um, I had one guy in assembly, uh, which is where we all meet in the morning, who came and asked me about Le Mans. Mm. Um, it was really interesting, and everybody else took the piss. <laughs> as you do, as which, you is do. Exa- which is exactly what you did. Yeah, um, absolutely. The fact that I still have the big Le Mans twenty-four stickers on the side of the car, um, and yeah, so I have my Le Mans overall and my Le Mans cap, and I knew I'd get good stickers, but that's kind of why I did it. That's exactly why you do it. Oh, that's yeah. that's that's fantastic, Clarkson. I'm. I'm glad that you got to experience that. And thank you for, for taking the time to share some of that experience with us today. Well, thank you for asking because my, my family don't let me talk about it anymore. Uh, the marshals won't let me talk about it anymore. And my friends at work won't let me talk about it anymore. So really, this is my last <laughs> Do you, you feel like you've gotten it all out now? Do you feel like you're content with your Lawan experience? You can, you've shared it all you need to now? <laughs> I, I'll probably still talk about it for a while because it was just... It was the coolest thing ever. Oh, that's that's that is so cool to hear. That's so cool to hear. And if you are listening and you do want to get involved and make all your friends jealous and hate you and never talk to you again, get to get involved in your local marshalling uh, organisation. They're always, always, always looking for for volunteers to to help make motorsports happen. And that's that that is the the honest truth here. The that motorsports as a as an entire sport as an entire entity can't exist without the the work of people like you Clarkson and, and some of the people listening and uh and and the volunteers that that make it all happen and it's it's really really cool to to be able to be involved and do it for free uh and be able to be there for for the weekend and 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 get it to happen so get involved Any, anything else anything else you can think of before before we say goodbye uh, not really. No, I think I've, I've talked for like an hour and a half now, so I think if anyone hasn't got the impression of what it's like by now and is still listening, 
um, then they're kind of not going to get it. But yeah, it's it's just it's really cool. You get the best view. Yeah. Um, the drivers are always really grateful. So you can walk up and down the paddock. The drivers have got the chat too if you want to, um, and they'll show you around. And it's just yeah, it's really good fun. It's really cool. You should definitely do it. And on that note, I think that will be what we end on. Now, thank you very much for, for joining me today, Clarkson. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And thank you, of course, to our sponsor, the Racing Lion app, for making this all, all for sponsoring us and making this happen. And yeah, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure sharing this experience with you. So on that, I've been Michael Salavari. Peace out. I hate my own voice. Why though? It's such a such a voice. <laughs> it is a voice. I know. I just I've always hated my voice. Okay, I um, don't know. I don't think it's that uncommon. But I I know a lot of people don't like listening back to their voice because it sounds different to what they hear in their own head. So I think once once you can get over that, once you kind of get used to what your voice sounds like to other people, it's I don't know less of a hurdle. I don't want to say I like the sound of my own voice, but I think I've got a nice voice. <laughs> I think you like the sound of your own voice in the best possible way. Well, I mean, other, <laughs> other people seem to like the sound of my voice because they want to hear me talk about shit, apparently. <laughs> it's quite calming and soothing, your voice, I think. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, ta- I'll, I'll absolutely take that. I thank you very much, Clarkson. I appreciate that. But... <laughs> Don't I need? I don't need a bigger. Uh, I don't need a no, bigger no. head. My ego was already big enough as it is. I can call you if that makes you happy. It doesn't. Remember, this is Australia. That's that's just normal here. <laughs>